Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today we have a two-part podcast. First, I'll speak with Lindley Bach, who is an American expat, content creator, travel blogger, and digital nomad. In the second part, I chat with ACA Executive Director, Mary Louise Serrato, who gives us a quick update on ACA's recent advocacy efforts in Washington, D.C. So let's get into it. Welcome, Lindley. Thanks for joining us today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. How about telling our audience a bit about yourself and explain how you ended up living overseas? So I've lived abroad for three years now. I'm originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I went to college in Colorado and met the man who would later become my husband, and he was a Dane. He wanted to represent his country for the Danish basketball team. So that's what he's been doing. And he's been playing basketball while I've been working remotely for the last three years. Did you experience any culture shock or do you experience reverse culture shock when you come back to the U.S.? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Denmark is vastly different from the American Southwest, which I'm from. Well, first of all, the weather is dark, dark and cloudy and it rains a lot. So I'm from the, the hot desert. So that was a shock in itself. But the people also in Scandinavia are a bit colder, less warm, like this American friendliness kind of shake your hand and welcome each other's circle isn't, isn't a part of their culture. For me, that was really tough. It was really tough to make friends. But my husband has some family there and I've been there long enough so that I could ask questions about that. I've learned that people, once you get to meet them, that's when the warmth comes in. So they're not so friendly. You don't get that really nice customer service when you walk into a store, when you meet somebody new. But after you get to meet people, they really open up and let you in. That's been really cool. And as far as reverse culture shock, I will say every time I come back to the U.S., I get some reverse culture shock, which I'm sure most people who move abroad do. But I remember vividly in May when we flew back, we were in the airport and we got on one of those air trains and there was this woman in the train just yelling at her insurance agent. It was just so jarring for me because Danes are so quiet and reserved and in the trains, they're so respectful. Like if you're talking on the phone, everybody will glare at you because it's kind of seen as disrespectful. <laughs> you're not used to when you come from the U.S. When you come from the U.S., people are loud and they're out there and this is kind of the way we do things. So every time I come back, no fail, something shocks me. While living overseas, have you ever been in a situation where you felt compelled to when in Rome do as the Romans do, but you wouldn't do the same thing when in the U.S.? It's kind of hard. Anytime you move somewhere new, you kind of want to assimilate and fit in to some degree. And to some degree, you just, you are who you are and your culture lives within you and you can't get rid of that. This last year, I was coaching a, a volleyball team locally and every week I would find myself talking to the girls and giving them a motivational speech or something. And then they would just be staring at me and I'd be like, you know, what, what's that? And they're like, oh my God, this is so American. This is Hallmark, like right out of a movie. And I'm like, what? This is the way that it's done, you know? And like in sports, they don't do so much inspiration. It's a lot more tactical. So, you know, when I'm pumping them up, it's like, you guys are amazing and play with heart and throw your bodies on the line. And they're looking at me like, oh my gosh, who is this American woman? So I've, <laughs> I've had to turn down my Americanness sometimes to be able to 
better relay my feelings and get people to connect with me better, that takes time. Right. Do you feel more comfortable now? I do. I definitely feel more comfortable. It still happens every once in a while. And I'm sure every country is is different, but depending on what kind of circle I'm in, whether it's a business or personal meeting, I will try to try to change some of these things that are really American culture to make other people more comfortable. It's had to be a balance because in my first year there, I felt like I kind of lost myself trying to assimilate too quickly. And if you do that, you really lose sense of of who you are and what's important about what makes you you. There's a fine line between being respectful and being authentic. Right. I know of several Americans living overseas who've started blogging or vlogging on various topics. Why did you choose to blog about travel? I've always been a writer, kind of a journaler, and I was an English major in college. I just wanted to document what I was doing because we all go on these amazing trips over the course of our lives. And we are like thinking that one time when I was in Belize, what was that hotel we stayed at or that restaurant that we went to? So Mm -hmm. it kind of turned into that where I was trying to document where I was going, what I was doing so that my family could see what I was doing overseas. And it's just kind of evolved as I've gotten better and better at it. It's turned into something that's become a resource for other people. And when my friends and family come overseas, they're going to somewhere very iconic, like Paris. I can send them my guide to Paris and they can see what my favorite restaurants were and what I found to be awesome about that particular city. That's why I do it. It's kind of a a journal of sorts. Right, right. Which has been your favorite country so far and why? I am actually in the process of pursuing my Spanish citizenship right now. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. Uh, It's been really fun. I'm actually pursuing it through some Jewish heritage that I have that I didn't even know about that gives me right to come back into the land. Spain is kind of a reparations with the Catholic Jewish history. So that's a long story. But anyways, I love Spain. In this process, I've come to to know Spain and Southern Spain is a lot like the American Southwest. So it feels very familiar to me. And the food is just to die for. And the beach is just along the coastline all the way, all the way down and across. And so I just love spending time down there. And I hope to move there at some point if I can talk my husband into that. Do you have any locations on your bucket list? Yes. I don't know why, (laughs) but Europe Now that I live in Europe, Europe seems so close, but the other side of the world, Japan and Thailand, Australia, all that region, I would love to get over there. It's so funny because everyone's like, oh my gosh, Europe is so far away. And it's like, wherever you live, there's something always that's super far away and exotic. So I'd love to get over to Asia and India and Australia. Those are my next places that I'd like to explore, coronavirus permitting. Can you explain what a digital nomad is for our listeners who don't know? I would define a digital nomad as somebody who works from their computer, from their phone, from some sort of technology where they are not attached to an office or a location. Have you always worked online or have you ever had a quote unquote real job? Prior to working online and being digital, I was working in higher education. 
I have a master's in higher education through Penn State. After I did my undergrad, I went into college admissions and I worked as a recruiter for two years. I loved it. I flew around the country and talked to high schoolers about the importance of higher education. Education is just a huge pillar in my life. I loved it. That was my real job. It wasn't eight to five, got up every morning at 6.30, got ready and hit the road. So I definitely have done that. During the time of COVID, many are working online now and have had to make adjustments. We've all seen those videos of embarrassing Zoom moments. What were the biggest adjustments you had to make when starting to work online? I think working online requires you to have an extraordinary amount of discipline when you're coffee maker and your husband and your dogs or whatever it is work right next to you and you're close to your bedroom and your your home you really have to find space between work and home and work and play because they intersect a lot more when you're at home so you have to find that fine balance and i think that can be really difficult the other thing is getting used to being virtual like this when you're talking over the phone or you're talking into a video camera. I think that can be uncomfortable. I had a boss that told me a while back, keep a blazer in your top drawer and some earrings and you'll always be good to go. So I've actually had to use that a lot recently. There's been a number of meetings that I was in where they were like, oh, can everybody turn on your camera? And everyone's like, oh my gosh, what? You just got back from a workout or whatever. So that's one of the things that I do. That's one of my little tips and tricks. I really try to create a boundary between work and play. When I'm working, you know, my family knows not to bother me if the door is shut. I'm at work. I'm not just in the office next to the living room. I'm at work. And I think it's important for all of us. What are some of the minuses and pluses about being a digital nomad? The minuses are the social connection, which I think nationally we're having a conversation about mental health and some of these things that come with never seeing people, especially during a quarantine. So that can be hard. I'm naturally a social person and I love to get dressed and go to work and sit in meetings with real people. So sometimes I miss that. I definitely miss that. And I think that can be overcome by having activities on the outside and what have you, but you have to really be mindful that you're not just alone by yourself in your little bubble attached to a screen, because I think that's that can be toxic for sure. The pluses about being a digital nomad is that the flexibility is vast. The company that I work for right now is asking me to work 40 hours a week, but they don't care when those 40 hours a week are. So I can work eight to five, I can work noon to eight, I can work 8 p.m. till two in the morning if I'd like to do that. I love that flexibility. I take a two hour lunch often to kind of work out and you can work from a coffee shop. I think that the flexibility is a beautiful piece, but you really have to have to be mindful that you're disciplined as well. You mentioned that you work from a company, but I know sometimes being a digital nomad, there's a bit of a hustle that's necessary to find a steady stream of clients. Have you ever had to hustle for more work? Right now I, I am working for a corporate company, but the three years prior to this, I was freelancing. And there definitely is a hustle that comes with freelancing. And anybody that's in the industry knows networking is extremely important. Every time you meet somebody new, it's great to shake hands and find out what they're doing. 
what I've found in the marketing freelancing world that I'm in is that every person that you know in this day and age needs a website, needs copywriting, needs social media, needs these things. So I always am kind of just putting feelers out. I usually in social circles kind of have that professional cap on just in case I run into something like that. I think it is a hustle for sure. What do you think is the difference in mindset between someone who is a digital nomad and someone who works the eight to five job? So the digital nomad life is just a very casual life. And I think that the whole world is moving more and more casual. My dad is a CEO of, of his own little entrepreneurship company, and he was on a, a Zoom call the other day, and he thought it was going to be real professional, so he put on like a suit and tie. And he said on his screen, he saw some woman who was just laying in bed with her hair down, all, all wet or something at this meeting. And he was like, oh my gosh, that's so unprofessional. And the thing is, I think that the world might be moving more and more in that direction, which I think it's just happening, especially right now while people are are locked in their homes and these social situations are shut down. I think the good thing about working from home is that you're more balanced. I usually wake up, I make my coffee, I do my yoga, and then I sit down to work at eight o'clock. So I'm not driving in the morning. I'm not stressing in the morning. So it feels a lot more relaxed. Right. And that leads me to my next question. I was going to ask you, do you have a daily routine that you stick to or are you loose with your schedule? I'm a very disciplined person. I played volleyball in college and my mom ran the house like a military sergeant. So maybe it's just kind of kind of who I am. I really like structure and routine. Of course, I build that for myself. My My schedule is all blocked out all day long for different projects and whatever it is. I need a personal block for two or three hours to take my mom to an appointment or do something for my husband or get groceries, I'll do that. But I will say I have coworkers that really do the opposite. They'll work for two or three hour chunks and then whatever they feel like doing for the next couple of hours. And then when they feel like working again, they'll go get back online. I think that's the beauty of this virtual world. People have the ability to work in a way that serves them. And do you think saving for retirement is possible as a digital nomad? <laughs> I do. I definitely do. My great grandfather, he was born in 1912 and I spent a lot of time with him in like his last 20 years. And he always told me 10% to the church, 10% to retirement. Although I don't go to church, I do believe in giving to causes that, that mean to me. And I believe in saving. So whether that's 10% or whatever you can give that month, my husband and I have been able to stick to a routine. So we're definitely not making a lot of money overseas. My husband is playing professional basketball, but in no way is it like the NBA. We're doing it for the love of it, for the fun of it. So we are trying to be really disciplined with our money, but I think that's kind of the same no matter where you're living or what you're doing. And speaking of the future, do you think that there will be more or less digital nomads or people who work from home in the next 10 to 20 years? Oh my gosh, yes. The world is moving digital. I work in digital marketing right now. Companies around the world are seeing what's happening when they don't have a sound website. 
when they don't have a sound digital presence, they're flopping when it comes to coronavirus, when their whole business has to be moved online. So I think it's getting really real, especially for American companies, how important online is. And not to mention companies across the world right now are closing down the actual offices because why are we going to pay rent somewhere when people can actually work from home and be more productive and have more hours in the day? They're not commuting to and from work. It's friendlier on the environment. I think there will always be in-person jobs, always, always. But I do think there will be more opportunity to work remote, remotely for people who mm -hmm. want it. My little sister is about to graduate from CSU and she's, she's so cute. She's a philosophy major and she really hates everything digital and online and every yeah. interview she's had so far is for a remote job and she's just so upset about it. <laughs> Tell me, you know, all the jobs, all of them, they're all online. That's due to COVID right now. But I think as companies progress, they're going to want to, some of them at least are going to end up staying this way. In what ways do you think that being an American living abroad has changed you? It has been undoubtedly the most humbling experience of my life. When I was in high school and college and when I saw foreign people, maybe I saw them as a little different or something, but I never took much, much initiative to really welcome them into my circle and maybe explain to them American culture. We, we didn't have exchange students in my house. I mean, my parents are very cultured, but it was, you know, it was part of my life that I didn't necessarily pay much attention to. When you move abroad and you are the other, you are the outsider, the way that you talk is funny. Mm -hmm. It's humbling. It's really humbling. I cried a lot the first year that I moved abroad. I was very homesick. The people who've taken me in have mm -hmm. just been amazing. Mm -hmm. And so if and when we ever move back to the U.S. or Wherever I am in the world, I know now that I'm much more sensitive to culture and language and, and foreigners and immigrants. I think that at some point, everybody should do that in order to get some perspective. And I certainly am, am better for it. And for those who are looking to become a digital nomad, what would you recommend that they do? What steps should they take? So when I was working in corporate, I actually learned that it's hard to get your first remote job. And likely people don't want to hire somebody for a remote job who's never worked a remote job before, which is awful, right? Because it makes it hard to get into the industry. Here's my advice. I would start small. If you are a freelancer, it's great to get a small collection of clients that you work for on the side from your own computer so that you are technically remote so that when you try to move into the industry, you can say, hey, I have this experience. And so that's actually what I did. They say leap and the net will appear. So I, my husband and I moved abroad and I just kind of went for it and I started collecting clients. Now I'm a digital nomad for a large marketing agency, but on my resume, I had this experience to back me up. Second, I would say connect with people who are remote. If you can, I would love to connect with any of you who are out there. Anyone else that you know who's in a remote industry might have a door into 
other remote jobs out there or into their fields. And then lastly, which I think is kind of a new concept, is to pitch the idea. Pitch the idea. We're in a world where everybody is moving online. So if you see a job online that you really want and you want to do it from Prague and you're qualified, call the CEO, call the director and tell them, hey, this is what I bring to the table. I'm going to be more productive if, if I'm at home. I would love to do this work for you and, and throw your hat into the ring. I really think that that's a good way to go with the way that the world is right now. And as more and more remote jobs come available, some companies haven't expanded their minds yet and aren't open to that. But if you pitch that, it might happen for you. Do you have <laughs> any closing thoughts for our audience? If you're out there, if you're living overseas, I would be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn if you're in the marketing world and you want to find a job in the States. I have a number of leads right now just because of the way the world is. It seems like so many companies are hiring for remote. If you're out there and you've had some of these same experiences, that's what makes this really cool. And I think Americans sticking together is always really fun. Every time I meet another American overseas or in Denmark, it feels like needle in the haystack and you have this common common experience. So thank you for being adventurous and getting out there and hopefully changing the world for better. Thank you, Lindley. Welcome, Mayor Louise. I'm sure our listeners will be interested to know the latest from Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Happy to bring everybody up to speed on Washington, D.C. during COVID and our advocacy work. There's a lot happening in D.C. at the moment with COVID, the upcoming elections. How is ACA managing messaging regarding the issues for Americans living overseas in this environment? Definitely challenging times right now in Washington, D.C., and the focus up on Capitol Hill is definitely spread over a lot of issues and primarily on the COVID pandemic and also on the upcoming elections and the ability to vote, voting in person, voting via mail and absentee ballots. It's difficult to get into a lot of the offices, but we continue to try to make meetings from distance and have conference calls. We're also following up from our write-in campaigns, the write-in hearing campaign that we've had out that's going into a lot of congressional offices and into the tax writing committee. Recently, we wrote a letter to several senators, to Senator Feinstein, Klobuchar, Menendez, and Wyden, also to Congressman Joaquin Castro and Senator Markley. In the case of the four senators, they had written to the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, asking that the U.S. State Department do everything in its power to ensure that Americans overseas are able to vote. Joaquin Castro and Senator Markey proposed legislation that asked the State Department to ensure that Americans who wanted to repatriate due to COVID would be able to easily repatriate back to the United States. So 
on both of these initiatives, we thanked the legislators for their work on it, but we also reminded them that it shouldn't take a time of pandemic or an election year for them to turn their attention to the issues of Americans overseas. So we're, we're doing a lot of follow-up letters into these offices, and from those letters, then we will follow up with more meetings. Are offices on the Hill holding in-person meetings? Some offices are, but most prefer to do phone or online video conference calls. Especially recently, there have been a lot of legislators that have been diagnosed with COVID, so a lot of the offices or most of the offices would prefer not to have on-site meetings. It's made it a bit challenging, but it's certainly doable still to keep up those relationships. We've all had to adapt. It's, again, challenging times. We've heard lots about the CARES Act. How has the experience been for the overseas American community regarding the legislation? As many people probably experienced, there were some initial problems and ACA jumped right in to try to get some of those resolved. A big, big problem obviously was with the get my payment tool. There were issues with being able to input a foreign address, difficulties in being able to provide direct deposit information if individuals wanted to get their stimulus by direct deposit as opposed to a physical check. There was definitely the problem and continues to be the problem of joint filers where one individual has a social security number and the other one has an ITIN and that disqualifies them. And the fact that the PPE for small U.S. businesses, that stimulus was not fully available for American companies operating overseas. We initially brought a lot of these to the attention of congressional offices and in particular to the IRS because a lot of them were around the issue of the Get My Payment tool, which the IRS was was overseeing and managing. One good thing we've learned from the IRS in our discussions with them is that they have acknowledged that overseas Americans are an underserved community. They recognize that they need to do more outreach. They need to have better systems in order to service the overseas American communities. Speaking of the CARES Act, what is happening with the HEROES Act? What do you expect for Americans abroad with that legislation? So the HEROES Act, as we know, is sort of the second piece of stimulus for individuals and for the U.S. economy here due to COVID. We believe that there will be more stimulus to individuals, much like the stimulus that was done in the original CARES Act. All the details haven't been worked out. They may try to correct some of the problems that were encountered in the CARES Act, but right now it's still to be determined. On ACA's site, it says that ACA is using the CARES Act to help support RBT. How is ACA doing this? The CARES Act highlights the lack of outreach by the Congress to the overseas American community. It also highlights the elements of the legislation that were inaccessible to Americans overseas. It strengthens our messaging to Congress that we need to fix these things. It also shows that the IRS doesn't have a system of really dealing with the overseas American community and some of the nuances of that community. So we add that to our ever-growing bullet point of issues like the banking lockout from FACA, the problems with the transition tax and guilty tax. It all helps support that there are problems and issues with the current citizenship-based taxation that need to be addressed through reform. Is the write-in campaign for hearings helping efforts? 
Absolutely. We have had over 16,000 messages go into Congress, and that is fantastic because it really helps ACA's efforts when we can walk into an office and we know that they've been contacted by constituents. They know already about the problem. They've heard about it. So a lot of the offices that received messaging, ACA had already been in speaking with their staff. So now we're going back to them. We're reminding them that they've heard from constituents, that they have had messages into their office, and we're following up with a lot of those previous contacts, and we're also making contacts into new offices, which is really great because it helps build the awareness generally in Congress. ACA has done lots of advocacy for getting out the vote. How have those efforts been received? We have heard from the public that they really appreciate the information that they've been receiving on registering to vote and on the history of voting. We did two campaigns, which was, quote unquote, a week's worth each of information on how you register from overseas and how you request your absentee ballot. And then a challenge that really spoke to the history of how people 45 years ago really worked to get the vote from overseas because there was a time when you could not vote for overseas. We have been featured in a lot of media articles with our campaign on voting and also our efforts with the Voice Your Vote campaign, which is the write-in campaign to ask candidates their opinions on the issues. So it's all helping to get the word out. And the important word out is that Americans overseas should vote. Your vote is counted and they should register and request their absentee ballot and do it soon. We're, we're getting up to a lot of deadlines. Any additional thoughts? Do you want to mention any other efforts ACA is involved in? So we've been doing a lot of different things to increase awareness. We have our podcast, which I'm doing with you right now, which is becoming mm -hmm. really popular. We have more and more speakers coming forward and we're hearing from members that they wanna hear from a wide range of topic areas not just tax and compliance, surprise, surprise. We're doing lots of online webinars, as you know, doing on-site town halls and events as we traditionally do at ACA has been a challenge now with COVID and lockdown and restrictions on traveling. In May, June, July, August, September, and this month, we've participated in webinars. People should go to our website, check out our events page, and they can see some of the upcoming webinars <clears throat> that we will be hosting and will be presenting at, and you can also access most of our past webinars. So we do hope that next year we'll be on site again once we get around the corner of COVID and we can all start traveling again. But in the interim, we're doing a lot with webinars and with our podcast to get, to get the word out virtually. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month, it is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us. 